0: Welcome to How We Work, a podcast about the very real and very human dynamics that shape the way we work. I am Mike Lovett and I am joined by...
1: Sarah Mulcahy.
0: Sarah, we are live at Work Human Live in Atlanta. This is the first episode of many that will be recorded in a two-day space here. And you're hosting this episode.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, thanks for jumping in. And our guest on this episode is Josh Lebs, who we've wanted to talk with. His whole thing is parents at work and... You are also a parent at work. So I was curious, what were the kinds of things that you wanted to get into them? And then if you could paint a picture for people of what this whole work human life thing is.
1: Yeah, I was super excited to talk to Josh because I'm passionate about working parent experience. I have two little ones, Mabel and Eva, four and one years old. And Obviously, during COVID, it's been tough on working parents. So Josh is all about how do you create that supportive working environment for them? And in general, just for people that are caregivers at work, this is a huge part of their life. And we want to bring out the best in them. So, yeah, we're here. WorkHuman Live, WorkHuman Central is really like the heart of WorkHuman Live. There's a live band right now. I think I heard a fiddle. There's plants. Yes. (laughs) There is a A mural behind us.
0: That's almost completed. Yeah. They've been working on it steadily. And I would imagine the last day is when it will be the final paint stroke will go. Yeah. It says,
1: be a gift to the present, which I think is awesome. That's
0: nice. It's been, we're still right in the midst of it, but it's been really exciting. And this is going to be a great conversation with Josh. And it's coming out in between Mother's Day and Father's Day because it does hit on both. and also. You don't need to adhere to any sort of calendar to talk about these issues. They are... They're always, always important. Exactly. So with that, I'm going to have you take it away with Josh.
1: My guest this week is a native of Atlanta. Well, actually not a native, but you do live live here now. now. An author who has spoken at the United Nations, Congress, and Oxford about outdated parental policies in the U.S. and around the world. Please welcome Josh Leves.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. I'm really psyched for this conference.
1: Yeah, there's definitely an energy already, and it's not even started yet. That's right. Yeah,
2: we're <laughs> speaking before it even begins, but you can feel it. You can feel it in this space here.
1: There's a vibe for sure. <laughs> well, I'm really excited because, I mean, we had a prep call for this. We're both working parents. Mm-hmm. Working parents have been through so much the past couple of years, yep. and the stress is just off the charts. And a lot of it has to do with COVID. Yeah. It's really exposed that. But it was a problem before the pandemic. And how would you describe the state of parents in the workplace today? And where are we? How did we get here?
2: Mm. Well, it's been uh, the state of parents today in the workplace is probably some PTSD. Yeah,
1: I feel it. I mean, to some,
2: <laughs> for some people, it's literal. And, and for others, it's more colloquial. But a lot of parents have been through a very difficult time. It's been a moment in which our entire society has had to finally look at and acknowledge the failure of current workplace structures to support caregiving. All human beings will need caregiving at some point. Most human beings will be caregivers at some point. And the way work was designed is just not commensurate with being able to do that. And it doesn't have to be that way. When we build structures that allow caregivers to also be great employees, Everyone comes out ahead, including our businesses.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just love your story. Actually, it's similar to mine and my husband. So our firstborn, Mabel, was in the NICU when she was born. And my husband asked his work if he could take some time to be with her at the hospital. I was going there every day and they said no. (laughs) So very similar to your situation. Could you just talk a little bit about that and what got you interested in this work?
2: Sure. Yeah. So when my first child had to have major heart surgery at birth and I was using, uh, I had two weeks of paternity leave. I used some vacation time and I had the same response to becoming a dad that most men do is that all of a sudden I became hyper-focused on money, trying to give us security and stability in the future. A lot of that does kick in after you become a dad. And then my second kid was born in an emergency on the floor of my bedroom into my arms.
1: Oh my goodness. Not
2: clearly breathing at first. The umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck five times. There was no sign of life or movement. It was weeks before due date. Anyway, I don't want anyone to be scared or traumatized. Everything's fine. He worked out great. But that experience, and I'm super careful to talk only about my own experience. The births are more my wife's story, but she's her own person and speaks for herself. And it's the most heroic thing I've ever seen giving birth. But anyway when my son was born into my arms and I couldn't tell if he was alive. In that moment, my values were so clear that I care more about family and time with family than I do about work and making money. So I started seeking work-life balance and then came the third child, which is where the comparison comes in. We thought, okay, third time's the charm, everything will be smooth. Instead, they had to induce my wife relatively early at 33 weeks because of major preeclampsia. So my daughter was born prematurely, four pounds, and I was needed at home to care for her. And I had checked in with work in advance before we even knew about preeclampsia, any of that. I said, hey, I'm going to be needed at home. And under the policies that I had at CNN, anyone could get 10 paid weeks after having a kid except a biological father, anyone except. A biological And that dad. was
1: written in the policy?
2: What they had done is add every group possible except biological fathers. And so I had gone to them completely like in secret behind the scenes. I said, look, this has to be an oversight. And they had said, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, put it in writing. And let's see what happens. So it, it rose to the top of, which I was at CNN. This was part of Time Warner at the time. They told me that all the units were weighing in on whether my request was okay, which was a ridiculous thing to have to consider. Anyway, then my daughter was born prematurely in an emergency. Two weeks later, I'm home holding her caring for my sick wife and my two boys. And that's when work said, no, I could not have the 10 weeks that anyone else would get. So that's when I took legal action about this and it turned into a whole big thing.
1: It's important work. It really is. And I think a lot of companies are becoming more progressive, but we still have a long way to go. And so we've done research at WorkHuman. We found in multiple surveys that over the last year, parents are one of the most stressed groups of employees, especially mothers, especially millennial parents, and especially parents We started a new job during the pandemic. So let's talk about where we can go from here and what companies do right after they finish listening to this episode to ease that stress.
2: Yeah, and I want to add dads too. moms have had tremendous stress. I contacted the main place that tracks stress in America, the American Psychological Association, because there were all these reports about moms. And I said, what about dad? So they ran the numbers for me. They came back to me and said, no statistical difference between moms and dads. So the stress levels were super high across the board for parents from what they had. And it makes sense. It was incredibly hard for so many reasons, including women having to lose their careers and getting set back because all the caregiving falls to them because of these twisted systems. And then when you have a heterosexual couple, All of a sudden, the woman loses her career, all the financial pressures on the man. It it just, it was all so ugly.
1: And for those two years, we were all home trying to do everything. Yeah. And the kids are home. Yeah.
2: And you're trying to get them educated somehow and allow them to have social education experience with other kids. Right. Like it was tough for you too. It was a very difficult time all around. Sorry, what was your question?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What can they do right after they finish listening to this episode To ease that stress on working parents.
2: Ah, well, like business leaders and... Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's what we need to understand from the very beginning. When you work with caregivers, when you make sure that people in your company have the flexibility and the pay time off that they need, your business comes out way, way ahead in every way. And my background at CNM was in fact checking. And so when I went into this entire experience, I started running numbers. And what I kept finding was when businesses take the right steps, when they make sure that there is paid leave and that there is flexibility, people stay and you don't have to go through the profound costs of replacing employees. What people don't know is that men leave their jobs too. Women are dropping out of the workforce. Men are looking for different jobs where we are supported as dads. And the places that are creating policies and even more importantly, cultures of support are coming out ahead. They're attracting, they're retaining they're increasing their profit.
1: Yeah. It's a huge employer brand issue, especially if you want to attract millennial dads and younger too. I mean, it just, we talked about this on our prep call, like the role of parents is changing like responsibilities. Like it's not all on one person typically. And I think a lot of times the problem is that the leadership at the top is from that older generation that just sees things very differently. And It's not a 50-50 necessarily, but I think that is changing.
2: So it's actually a fundamental way of what we think of what it is to work and be human. (laughs) You know, it is about both because I like to say the way the workplace was designed was all about work-life balance. And the balance was the man does all the work and the woman (laughs) does all the life. Yeah. The workplace, the modern workplace was not designed for one person to both have a life and be a worker to have caregiving responsibilities. and be, So we need to fundamentally rethink how we design this, and we need to build from the ground up so we understand that work is something that you achieve, not a place that you go and sit, and you make sure that people are free to do both. Yep.
1: So you recently wrote that policies alone aren't enough when it comes to paid leaves, that organizations need to create a culture that supports family leave, as we were just talking about. So what steps should organizations be taking to create that supportive leave culture?
2: Right. So this is especially true for men that even when paternity leave is available, most of it goes unused. And it's not because guys don't want to care for our kids. I do this research with this brand that I have a partnership with, Dove Men Plus Care. And we've done all of this extensive surveys and we continuously find that the biggest things holding men back are stigmas. And what happens is there are men who have been fired or demoted or lost job opportunities because they took the paternity leave that was available. So it's only about 45% of companies that have any paternity leave, but even then most of it goes unused because guys get punished for it. Or some guys have been punished for it at some companies. So other guys at other companies are afraid to chance it. And when you've just had a kid, the last thing you can do is chance your job. So the culture, I say 20% policy, 80% culture. I'm actually speaking here at this event and I'll be talking about this. So you need the policies because that's step one, but you have to make sure that they are real, that no one's being punished. And this is why you need lots of employee feedback, lots of anonymous surveys, and you need to run the numbers and see if your benefits are going unused. Because if they are, then it's because your culture is not honoring the human side.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about flexibility. My husband, for that first company, he left because he didn't want to work for a company that didn't want him to be there in the NICU with his daughter, but his current company, he was able to have three months off, but he took it in parts. So like, how do you feel about that? Like, It should be whatever the parent decides works for their family, It should be
2: the choice. Yeah. Yeah. But did he actually take it?
1: He did, but he would do four-day work weeks for like six months. So he did end up taking it all, but in little spurts. Whatever works for
2: any given family. The idea, you know, what I stand for is for families to be able to make choices. And there's so many complicated things in society, but here's one thing that we can fix. These systems, they're not about handouts. They're not about businesses doing things that are bad for them. This is about a place in which rising tide actually does lift all boats. Give families the choices for how to do this. And your husband's a perfect example. That happens all the time. He left one job, they lost him. They mm-hmm. lost his skills, his talents, his experience, his relationships. It's super expensive to lose someone, and it can cost up to 200% of annual salary. So they lost a lot in losing him. This new place got him because he wanted a place that supports him as a dad. That is the new norm. That is typical. He is a perfect example of what men all over the country are doing now.
1: Yeah. I know during the pandemic, people would always say, oh, it's so nice to see your kids on your laps. But you do wonder like, okay, is that going to... After a while, are people going to get sick of that? And is it going to go back to, no, there's a strict delineation between work and home life. And we do wonder if people will tire and it'll go back to the way it was.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is why... All judgments about work should be how much a person gets done and not what they look like when they're doing it. Yeah. This is also one thing I do with companies is I say, look at your employees across any metric you want, a month, a quarter, a year. What did they achieve? How much work did they get done? What were their contributions, their creativity, their innovation? And very often, most of the time, you find that it's not the people who are sitting at their desks the most or who showed up in the office every day. But people still have this idea. If you see them in the office every day, they must be a better employee. So when you set that aside and you actually look at the work product, suddenly you discover that caregivers, whether you're caring for a child, an elderly parent, a sick spouse, anyone, caregivers are often the best time managers, the most creative. You know, you have
1: to be. Yeah, yeah. If you have 20 minutes, okay, I'll get these three things (laughs) done and then I'm going to have a kid coming in my room and distracting me.
2: And everyone, even whether if you don't have caregiving responsibilities right now, everyone benefits from a workplace that honors you living your life with mm-hmm. your flexibility. Some people have charity projects they love. Some people have sports they right. love. It could be anything at all that is your life outside of work. And there's no reason to give that up for the sake of looking like an old idea of a good employee.
1: Right. Yeah. I actually used to think about that when I was single and didn't have kids. And I'd be like, well, I might want to leave work on time to go to my yoga class. Mm-hmm. Like, That's for my well-being. And, you know, same like now that I have a family, that's where my values are. But yeah, it's about honoring the whole human. So... Totally
2: agree. I remember back at CNN when someone said to me, she was being kind of snide. And she said, how come she, this woman who wasn't there, gets to take off these few hours to go to her daughter's kindergarten thing? If I wanted to be gone, I couldn't. And I pointed to her and I said, see him over there? I was managing the other day. He needed to leave twice to get cable installed at his house. I let him go. (laughs) And so there was no response to that. She's like, she hadn't tried. You know, she hadn't asked. People make negative assumptions and they shouldn't. Yeah.
1: Well, to go back to the leave, should there be a delineation between maternity and paternity leave?
2: Yes. But so after my legal case, I should emphasize that Time Warner revolutionized its policy in the end, made it much better. It was a win-win for everyone. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, that's where you bring discrimination cases. They sent out guidance after my case, and it's something that all businesses need to see. And it laid out what to do. This is what you do. Physical recovery leave for women is its own thing, and women should get that you have to clearly distinguish that from caregiving leave. Caregiving leave has to be separate and it has to be gender neutral. So you cannot give a woman 10 weeks for caregiving leave and a man two weeks for caregiving leave. That would be illegal because it's gender discrimination. What a lot of businesses have done is wink and say, well, we want you to take 10 weeks of maternity leave. But what they're really doing is giving you disability leave under their disability policy. So they've been trying to get away with it under that. And that doesn't help either. In the end, making sure you have gender neutral caregiving leave is required and it's the solution.
1: Mm -hmm. So policies might not be everything, but they are really important as we're discussing. So say you, Josh loves you get to drop your dream paternal policy to alleviate the stress. What does it look like and what do you think companies should strive for?
2: Yeah. It's so interesting because early on in in my talks, I often explain that my grandfather was a small business owner and an entrepreneur, which sounds fancy. But what he did was he had a shop at the edge of his driveway. He had a little shack basically at the edge of his driveway. So I always tell people, I wouldn't want to put rules on businesses that would make it hard for him or any small business owner anywhere. Right. So when I say what we need, the first thing we need is public paid family leave and people don't generally know what that is but it's an insurance system that all people pay into it's different in different places but the idea is there's this tiny payroll deduction that creates a fund and when you need paid time off for caregiving you get paid from that fund so the business doesn't have to pay you anything they save the money they're not paying you because you're getting paid from the fund so what we need is that on a public level but individual businesses do benefit when they offer what they can and the reason that there's no one size fits all solution is cash flow if you are are a tiny place with just a few employees and you're barely scraping by, you might not have enough to pay someone for six weeks while they're not there. But if you're a large company, you have enough money to pay someone for 20 weeks while they're not there. Different resources. The number one thing to always do is communicate and work with the person. Because what so many people have told me is if their boss had just said to them, we know that this is a situation you're in. We know you're going to have a baby, whatever it is. We know you have this caregiver. What can we work out? Can we help you work from home? Can we give you off two days a week? Can we muster together enough for three? So number one is communication. And then if you are a company that's announcing big profits, you absolutely have enough money to have real substantial paid family leave, which is for you know, a six spouse, an elderly parent, or a child. And a minimum of six weeks when you're a big company. But I like to see 12. To me, that is a real commitment.
1: Agreed. 100%. Is that what you want to
2: say
0: too?
1: <laughs> I think WorkHuman has a great policy and super flexible. I think, oh, I had a baby during the pandemic. So right. it was like all different from my first child who I had in 2017. But yeah, it is all about communication and just, hey, I have to leave. I got to go do pickup, but I'll be back online tonight. And if you have that, then you can make it work for sure.
2: I have so much empathy for people like you who had really little ones during the pandemic. I was fortunate that my <laughs> yeah, youngest- old are your kids? So my kids are now 15, 12, and eight. Okay. And so during the pandemic, my youngest was five to six. And so she was already old enough that she could do her school online. We're fortunate. We have a great house with a pool. We sent them out to swim every day after school. So, and like they could have some screen time. So we didn't have kids the age that you have to literally watch them continuously. Yeah, because
1: they will hurt themselves. But four and younger, <laughs> like you have second, to watch them. She will go down the stairs if we don't shut the gate. I mean, yeah. no fear. Yeah. So, I mean, that,
2: that, that's really hard. But yeah. what, what people like you who had babies and, and really anyone, especially through toddler age, you have to watch them all the time because they will like eat the outlet. Like you just yeah. don't know. Like, and you couldn't have as much help. It was, it was tough, right?
1: Yeah. No, even this year, I think this year's probably the worst year because now we're out getting all the germs that we didn't get for two years. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Well, that's all of us.
2: Yeah. Once the mask rule ended toward the end of this year, they started coming home with all the normal colds, <laughs> which still suck. Quick parental tip for anyone listening. <laughs> when I started using a nasal rinse every morning, I stopped getting sick.
1: What is a nasal rinse?
2: It's like, it's kind of like a neti pot, but it's not. Ew. It's like this little, <laughs> it's, little it's called It's called flow. And it's like, you just put in water and this little like salt. It's the same as brushing your teeth, except you clean out your nasal passages. It sounds gross. <laughs> but once I started doing that, I stopped getting sick. It was like I might have to try this. Because I used to get all the germs from my kids. And now I do that every morning and I never get them. What
1: does it do? Flush out the germs?
2: Yeah. Once I started, so my ENT, my doctor, he said, if all Americans did this, I wouldn't have 90% of my patients.
1: Why isn't this a thing?
2: It should be a thing. It's like you clean your mouth. Why would you not clean the... See, this is why (laughs) it's good to breathe in through the nose because the nose cleans the air before you intake it. So the germs are still sitting in there. So why don't you flush it out? Now that I've learned this, it's so (laughs) obvious. Anyway, flow nasal rinse. They're not paying me, but I, I love do it.
1: Find, <laughs> I do find that if you're a parent, you're not a doctor, clearly, but not you feel doctor. kind of like you can diagnose and oh, yeah. give somewhat intelligent advice on Oh, yeah. Health I mean, issues.
2: And you can tell when someone's a new parent, if they're like, oh, no, my kid has 101 fever. You're like, that's fine. Oh, yeah. Everything Don't up to 103, you're it. completely <laughs> fine. If they're under two years old and they get up to 103, you're good. Yeah. Yeah, their body's getting used to germs. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm missing my kids, but I'm so excited to be having this conversation and meeting all these awesome humans at Work Human Live. And thanks for sitting down with us. I really appreciate it, Josh.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Talk to you soon. All right. How We Work is hosted by me, Sarah Mulcahy, produced by Mike Lovett, and edited and mixed by Rob Blois.